with this business. Uh, I'll never forget uh, James Jones, Marcel Reese, Seawood, Tuck, uh, Justin Tuck. Uh, they would always tell me, you, you got to bring it all the time because this league, they will cut anybody. They will trade anybody. We, you know, we know that. And so there's always a sense of, man, I got to show up. I think we took the opening kickoff and right down the field. I think we were ready to go. Not going to make excuses about the injuries on the line, but those are very difficult to overcome, the kinds that we had tonight. But defensively, we've got to find a way to start games better. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Vegas Nation podcast brought to you by your local Southern Nevada Toyota dealers. I'm your host, Heidi Fang, joined today with our Raiders beat writer, Michael Gelkin, who's still... Over in Oakland, I, on the other hand, left Santa Clara, got back here to Vegas, and we are going to talk everything Raiders against the 49ers. What a brutal loss for the team. Taking on the 49ers, third-string quarterback, yet unable to make stops when it counted. Tons of big plays led to the final score, 30 Four to three for the Raiders, and what a hard loss to suffer in the Battle of the Bay, falling to one and seven now, last in the AFC West. Uh, lots of what we heard from Gruden and Carr was about trying to keep things together, trying to keep the morale of the team positive, and Gruden discussing the injuries yet again, the troubles that they've had on the offensive line, just. <sighs> just something that right now there it's a hump there and a hurdle that they're unable to get past we saw Colton Miller fall to injury he did return to the game briefly but then again was pulled out Michael what is the status of this offensive line and just the shambles that it has been left in as of late it's been an unbelievable problem all season and when you look at the Raiders and their struggles at times the offense hasn't been among them because they've had protection, because Derek Carr's getting the ball in his hands quickly. We've seen some positive moments as recently as Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts. The Raiders did not lose that game because of a lack of efficiency on offense. But on Thursday night in Santa Clara, very first drive, left tackle Colton Miller, who suffered a right knee injury first on September 30th in week four against the Cleveland Browns, suffers a right knee injury again. Unclear if it's related exactly in terms of diagnosis to the grade two MCL sprain he suffered initially uh, about more than a month ago. Uh, But it was enough, as you mentioned, to force him out of action. The entire second half, he was on the bench, ruled out. Uh, He did re-enter with a hefty brace, but he wasn't able to really plant on that leg, and it caused problems for Derek Carr in protection that might be enough to have your left tackle be rendered unavailable or limited for essentially three quarters plus of a a game but that wasn't all that happened for the Raiders right tackle Brandon Parker their other rookie this one a third round draft pick he had a false start he had a holding and he allowed a sack all in the offense's first two series of the game Tom Cable had enough he told Brandon Parker to relax. You're just trying to make too much happen. You're too energetic. You're too hyped up. So he went ahead and put Ian Silberman into a game. Silberman, someone who was with the Raiders in training camp, did not make their initial 53-man roster, has been an inactive, healthy scratch uh, while the bulk of his time since he was resigned last month. He steps into action at right tackle. By the end of this game, he would also play left tackle. Kletchio Semele, the team's Pro Bowl left guard who appeared in the game for the first time since September 30th, 
he aggravated apparently a right knee injury that happened after he had already moved from left guard to left tackle. And so all this was to say that it was a mess. Derek Carr was sacked four times. That's a career high. Over the course of the game, the Raiders allowed eight sacks. AJ McCarron was down once in the fourth quarter. The 49ers sacked the Raiders more times than the Raiders have sacked opposing quarterbacks all season. The Raiders have seven quarterback sacks in 2018. And again, the Niners on Thursday night had eight of them. And that being a huge problem, the protection, again, you bring that up. Carr was, I guess the best word is benched in the fourth quarter or sat in favor of A.J. McCarron just because at that point they said, okay, there's... 30, I think there was 34 points up at the time, um, and then you have a missed field goal occur late in the second half, and at that point, they go for it on their next drive, I believe, and they have a turnover on downs. It, it was just pointless, I think, for them to have even put Carr into any more danger. He's somebody that you want as your franchise quarterback to preserve for the coming seasons. You definitely don't want to put him into harm's way when it's unnecessary. But at the same time, I think Raider fans want to see some fight out of the team. It's something Derek Carr keeps alluding to, saying that you never quit. We always put our best foot forward. You always fight to the end. In. But yet, in the in the fourth quarter, we're saying, let's take care of our quarterback. Let's put him on the sideline. Let's bring in A.J. McCarron, have him hand off the ball, run the clock down, and you know maybe we get a first down out of this. Maybe we don't. But at, at the same time, you have on the other side, Nick Mullins just having a field day because, as you mentioned, the, the defense for the Raiders hasn't been able to make stops. But yeah, he has a 262 passing yard, three touchdown day. Pretty clean day for somebody making a start. In fact, I think one of the best starts that we've seen in a replacement quarterback for the 49ers. You had, though, some guys breaking off huge plays like George Kittle going for a 79-yard reception on a play. Um, we had James with a 53-yard catch and run before halftime. Just big, huge plays that the Raiders can't afford to give up. But yet, as John Gruden said in the post, we can't find a way to stop the bleeding. And Reggie Nelson spoke about that in the locker room after the game. And here's what he had to say. Nobody gave up in my eyes. We kept playing. Um, like I say, we're going to watch the film tomorrow and see, see what's going on. I mean, I'm pretty sure the coach saying that he'll take care of that. But in my eyes, we, they, everybody kept playing for their brothers next to them. And, and that's all we ask. We just keep playing. Control what you can control. So it seems as though the team is putting out a front that they're keeping things positive that they're still going to have some success towards the end of the season. Uh, but at this time, I don't think that the Raiders will necessarily fi fire any coaches. But we did see John Gruden and Paul Gunther, the defensive coordinator, having some heated words on the sideline during the game. Michael, did you see that? And what do you make of what happened there? Was it just frustration with what was happening in the game and, and the debacle that was going on and with the 49ers and being unable to stop these big plays? Yeah, I would say so. I am aware of the video that was caught, at least the footage that was shown on the broadcast. But it's a very emotional time. Guys are frustrated in the sideline. John Gruden's frustrated. Paul Gunther's frustrated. Really, everyone should be frustrated when you look at the Raiders' performance, not just on Thursday defensively, but what it has been all season. Raiders are averaging 6.8 yards allowed per play 
that's only halfway through the season. But if that holds, that'll be the worst yards per play allowed in NFL history. The New Orleans Saints in 2015 averaged 6.6. That's the previous high. That bad is what this group has been. And when it is that bad, it's not the defensive coordinator. It's the personnel. And as frustrated as Gruden and Gunther can be at the moment, and I know that footage happened after a long gain against, I believe it was a touchdown. Um, it's hard to keep track. There were three plays of 50-plus yards that the Raiders surrendered on Thursday. It's not only natural for that frustration to exist and some back-and-forth combativeness there, but once those emotions settle and coaches look over the game film as they did on Friday, they know what they have. They're reminded what they have and really what they don't have. There is no pass rush that is worse in the NFL than what the Raiders have. They had three quarterback pressures on Thursday night. That includes two quarterback hits. That's it. Not one sack. They haven't had a sack all week, and they had two NFL games to get that done. Uh, I believe they have 59 pressures all season, and according to Pro Football Focus, no other NFL defense has fewer than 100. And so by a wide, wide margin, Raiders are not getting it done in terms of getting after the quarterback. Bruce Irvin only played nine defensive snaps. That's a season low for the co-captain, and I know He's dealing with the pectoral injury. Maybe that is contributing to his lack of production of late. But certainly the Raiders are not getting out of enough out of somebody whose value increased when the team dealt Mack in September. Bruce Irvin being paid $8 million. It seems highly unlikely that he will be playing with the Raiders beyond this season. And so uh, there are systemic issues that go beyond Paul Gunther as to why the Raiders are unable to stop even the team's number three quarterback making an NFL debut. They just don't have the personnel. I'm not sure how many of the Raiders starters that they're currently sporting would start for Paul Gunther last year when he was a coordinator in Cincinnati. And right now, would you think that anybody on that coaching staff is at risk for being fired it, most of the time when a team has a season like this a one in seven season and things aren't going the way that I, I don't think they anticipated this I know they got rid of Khalil Mack I know that there's been a lot of pieces of the Raiders that haven't been in place but I don't think that this is at all what anybody anticipated and at this point do you need to make an example of somebody to, to say that, to make a statement, does there need to be some sort of, of scapegoat, if you will, that somebody gets released? Yeah, yeah no, I, understand, I understand the question. I think it's only natural when the team is struggling. You know, will heads roll? Will there be some measure of symbolic accountability with a coach possibly being fired? And the answer is no in terms of do I see that happening? I don't. Should the Raiders be surprised or are the Raiders surprised by how the season's gone? Maybe a little bit. Maybe they thought eight games in, they might have a few wins, but I don't think anybody expected a seven and one Raiders. And here they are at one and seven. I think expectations certainly by John Gruden were pretty on point, pretty realistic as to the personnel shortcomings that he inherited when he became the team's head coach in January that mostly focused on defense where 
They didn't have enough pass rush. The corners were full of question marks. Garyon Conley, you look at him as really the only returner. Leon Hall is new as a nickel corner. Nick Nelson as a backup nickel corner, he's new. Rashawn Melvin, he signed a one-year $5.5 million contract. He's been a healthy scratch the past two games. And Daryl Worley was somebody the Raiders, after free agency, didn't think would be part of their plans, but he was waived after an arrest you know, by the Philadelphia Eagles. And now here he is as a Raider, and he's starting with Conley. It, this isn't what, you know, they didn't have high expectations, I suppose. They understood that everything was going to have to kind of come together on the fly. I mean, case in point, they continue or have continued until recently rotating cornerbacks, rotating safeties. That ladder is still existing. Uh, linebackers, defensive linemen, they're putting guys out of position. Uh, you know, asking Mo Hurst to play a number of techniques. Clinton McDonald, a defensive tackle the Raiders added early in the season. He's someone who, when he debuted in, I want to say it was week three. It was against the Denver Broncos. It might have been week two. He was playing a lot of three technique, a lot of one technique. You look at the film from Thursday night, and he's predominantly as a five technique. He's as a, as a defensive end instead of a defensive tackle or a nose tackle, which I think is a testament to just this defense trying to figure things out, moving guys around. It's not just the offensive line that's in disarray. It's this entire roster. Uh, you even punter right now, Johnny Townsend is struggling. You know, it seems like each week he's hitting a punter or he's hitting a punt that travels fewer than 30 yards. It's it's on and on and just recurring and it's not just going to be one thing. So uh, to put it on a coach, be it Paul Gunther or whomever, uh, would be pretty misguided. Uh, Gunther is here on a three-year contract. I would certainly expect he sees the second year of that. Uh, that's part of the strength of the Raiders moving forward. Not just the draft picks, not just the cap space, but that they have some newfound stability in their coaching staff so that when they're selecting players, be it in the draft or for agency, they know exactly what kind of scheme they're running. I would expect the Raiders to go into the 2019 offseason fitting their defensive players to Paul Gunther's scheme. Well, let's take a look on the flip side of that. We have the offense also struggling. The most, I think, that we had in receiving yards from any one player was Jalen Richard. He uh, came in with 45 receiving yards. Uh, he took in all four of his targets, four receptions made. He did have a long uh, pass and run, that, uh, a catch and run, excuse me, for 25 yards. But it combined, when you look at the top three guys for the Raiders who were Martavis Bryant, Jared Cook, and Jalen Richard uh, at this last game, they do not total a hundred yards in receiving yards combined. So without Amari Cooper, who is a big piece, obviously now with the Dallas Cowboys making his debut there on Monday night, Monday night football for Amari Cooper. We'll see how the trade <laughs> works out for him. But I, I think, you have to look at that part as well. This is a 49er defense that has not been known for making big stops this year. They are not the top defense in the NFL. So when you look at the Raiders and Derek Carr passing a total of 171 yards on this game, you have to wonder who is going to step up on this team, who is going to be the guy that can bring in a you know, a hundred yard game and, and score a touchdown. The fact that they didn't score a touchdown in this game is quite concerning. We actually talked to Brandon LaFell. We got to come back Monday ready to work, man. We got an extra day next week. We got to come back ready to work. And 
we got to find some way on offense to put some drives together, stay some drives down the field. When we get in the red zone, we can't step on our toes and go backwards with penalties. We gotta, we just gotta find a way to protect up front. Receivers gotta get open fast, and we just gotta find a way. So, Michael, what is your take on the offense? Well, I think when you look at the lack of production from the receivers, to me, it's just a reflection of the offensive line, where when the Raiders have lacked the productivity um, from a receiver core, you look at the offensive line, and, and there's your answer. Derek Carr is uncomfortable in the pocket. He's being sacked four-plus times. And obviously, as we mentioned earlier, that was the case on Thursday. I think if there is a fair criticism to make, and kind of piggyback on what we were just talking about but regarding accountability, one common thread this season is that the Raiders' offensive line has really struggled. And again, maybe this is personnel, not to overlook that. But the Raiders' offensive line has really struggled to handle adversity in terms of being shorthanded when uh, offensive tackle or guard, whomever it may be, goes down by injury. And that's not to say necessarily that Tom Cable might be the coach who could be fired after the season. I don't want to say that because I know the respect that John Gruden has for him. He talks about him like he's one of the very best offensive line coaches in the league. But I do think that is a fair criticism after the first half of the season is that when the Raiders are a bit undermanned on the offensive line, it's totally hindered their offense. They've been hamstrung. Derek Carr's barely attempting passes that travel more than 10 yards in the air. I want to say the Raiders had two such passes on Thursday, both of them were incomplete in terms of yards traveled in the air. And so when you aren't pushing the ball downfield, you're uncomfortable as a quarterback, as a play caller, you just aren't able to get things done because of injuries on your offensive line, you have to shore up that line from a personnel standpoint. The Raiders will be adding a former offensive tackle of theirs, David Sharp, on waivers. Officially, they submitted a claim and were awarded for him on Thursday, officially on Friday. That will be reflected on their roster. It couldn't be immediately reflected because of the Thursday night game. So they're going to do some help. But even then, there really isn't probably help coming because of the nature of the inexperience of offensive tackle and the lack of depth that was a problem all offseason. We spent a lot of time talking about it. But uh, Tom Cable, again, you could argue, uh, needs to find some way to make it work with this group because it is ridiculous, this trend, where when the Raiders are shorthanded on their offensive line, which has been to – Cable's credit, you know, an unfair amount of times it has happened this season, still they've shown an inability to overcome it. I think Kalechi Osemele moving from left guard to left tackle where he hadn't practiced all offseason to my recollection, and then he allows the sack and he injures his knee. And just The whole thing just kind of seems sloppy. And I think there's been times this season where you've seen Justin Murray, an offensive tackle by trade, step in at left guard when why wasn't – Ian Silverman active that game. You know, I think there's just different things that the Raiders need to take a hard look at. Can they prepare better for when injury-related adversity strikes? And then maybe do they need more veteran depth at offensive tackle, more experienced guys? One of the very first moves, if not the very first roster move for John Gruden was releasing Marshall Newhouse. And they've missed maybe some of that veteran presence, just knowing what to do. Uh, Donald Penn, of course, that injury, that did not help things. You know, he's on injured reserve with a groin injury. Nonetheless, uh, you have to make do with what you have. And 
it just doesn't seem like the Raiders have done as good of a job as maybe they should have when it comes to overcoming adversity on their own line. On that note, Michael, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about the Raiders facing the Chargers at home next Sunday. And we're also going to hear from Gilbert Manzano, who has an interesting story about two Las Vegas-based former UFC owners who may have an interest in possibly becoming owners of a football team. We'll talk about all of that when we come back from this break. This is the Vegas Nation podcast brought to you by your local Southern Nevada Toyota dealers. Toyota RAV4, it's up for anything. Toyota, let's go places. Let's go be spontaneous. Let's go out of our comfort zone. Let's go make the most of it in the Toyota Corolla. Toyota, let's go places. Heidi Fang here with Gilbert Manzano for Vegas Nations podcast. We just finished watching the Raiders on display against the 49ers in Santa Clara, Gilbert. Lots happened with that game. Yeah, and uh, it's still getting messy. We saw Ed Grady making a mess already. Yeah, we did see Ed Grady make a mess. Uh, we won't describe the said mess, but here in Santa Clara, uh, lots of crazy things happened with that Raider game. Um, but you had a different take on what was going on with the fans. You put out a story, an article that you can find online on ReviewJournal.com about the Fertitas, and they seem to have continued interest in possibly, I don't know if they want to own an NFL team, Gilbert. What can you tell me about what's going on with the Fertitas? Yeah, we actually spotted the Las Vegas uh, casino owners. Actually, you spotted them with the eagle eye you have. You saw Lorenzo there without Conor McGregor, but it was a Lorenzo. But he had his brother Frank. So, and then you started seeing who are they walking with. And then you said John Lynch, the general manager of the 49ers, uh, the CEO uh, Jetta York. So those are two very important figures with the Niners. So you started thinking like these guys want an NFL team. Dana White has said that they really want an NFL team. They were actually part of a bidding war, reportedly, for the Carolina Panthers. They lost out. Uh, who knows if, how much it was about money or about, you know, who, who got well, more personality thing because uh, David Tepper got it for $2.7 billion. That's a lot of money for a team to have that money. So being there and kind of being walked around by Niners brass, it kind of start, makes you wonder, like, could the Niners be selling? They, I, haven't, I haven't seen any reports out there about them being up for sale, so... I don't want to speculate, but it was kind of interesting to see, you know, these two uh, Las Vegas residents out here being shown around by, by, the, by the Niners. Not just any residents, though. Like you said, casino owners, former UFC, well, Zufa LLC owners, and billionaires. Yeah. Four billion that UFC sold for, and they both had a stake in the company, um, especially being with founding the Zufa Corporation, Zufa LLC, which is um, the corporation that the UFC banner falls under. So when that sold, they went for $4 billion. Uh, Frank, in fact, had just a wedding recently for his daughter that he spent $25 million on. Wow. You know, so uh, these guys are able to live the lavish lifestyle and have the luxury. And uh, I, I think you know they were treated as guests today with the 49ers, obviously, like you said, being with the brass. Uh, that definitely sheds some light, perhaps. And, and you know, what an interesting thing. 
when everything was happening in the early stages of the Raiders Stadium, mm -hmm. the Fertitas had a 100-acre property that was part of the mix, which I thought was a front-runner for a while because it was on the opposite side of uh, Tropicana Boulevard down by that In-N-Out Burger. So I thought that that perhaps would be an opposite side of T-Mobile. I thought that would be perhaps an area with 100 acres. We could have had parking. <laughs> yeah. yeah for, for a minute, we thought the Fertitas wanted to get the Raiders from Mark Davis, or there would be like a, a kind of a group of Mark Davis and the Fertitas. And then our, our boss, Sheldon Adelson, came into the picture and then kind of put it away. Uh, but Sheldon also stepped out. So it's kind of been, you know, the Raiders on their own and with a lot of you know, public funding. But that's a whole different story. So I don't think the Raiders are available. But, you know, we all thought the Raiders because they're from Las Vegas, they're coming to Las Vegas, they want to do that. But it seems like they don't care what city it is. They want, they want an NFL franchise like Carolina Panthers. Like, that's, that's so out of the way. And they're willing to put at least $2 billion. Again, I don't know where the money ranks up, but maybe the NFL is saying, hey, we don't want to, you know, give the money to some casino guys, MMA guys. But now with legalized betting, it seems like maybe the NFL is like, you know what, who cares? This guy, these people have money. And one of the premier franchises, the 49ers, the Fertitas get that. that. That's big time. It is big time. Bigger than Bishop Gorman, which is another stadium that I know the Fertitas invested a lot of money into. Uh, Frank uh, Lorenzo's son actually was a football player there and then went on to go play for Notre Dame. So I think with um, the interest level that he's had, the money that they've put into Las Vegas, the community, Bishop Gorman is one of the highest touted prep schools in the nation, not just Las Vegas and Nevada, but in the nation. So uh, what they did to help up that program was tremendous. So you know that the interest is there. What my question is with the other side of this, the NFL owners, would they ever allow people with casino stake into the NFL? And is the rumor true that the Fertitas are actually going to sell off their casino properties and not have uh, necessarily the ownership level anymore that they do with stations, uh, casinos, and the Red Rock Casino Resort. Yeah, that's kind of the the, the next step. Now maybe like maybe they're they're feeling it out right now, and maybe the Niners are really serious. Maybe you start seeing reports that the the Fertiles are giving up their station casinos and the Red Rock, like they're kind of pulling out. Uh, we actually saw a part of the Fertita family. Uh, Tillman Fertitta, but hopefully I got his first yes. name right, uh, with the Houston Rockets. He sold off all his property, the Golden Nugget and all that, and now he's the owner of the Houston Rockets. So maybe the NFL's looking what the NBA did, and the, hey, the Fertitta family, they're good people. Let's give them a shot. So I think that's when you're going to see another shoe drop as they start selling some of that property. And, and who knows? Maybe they kind of – the NFL's like, you know what? The, the betting is kind of legalized now. Maybe it's not even a problem anymore. Like you see the with NBA, like the, M, the, the MGM sponsors, like they don't care anymore. So who knows? But, yeah, if you see them selling off property or the casinos, that's when you know that's a big sign. Okay, again, you can catch that article on ReviewJournal.com by Gilbert Manzano, Raiders writer. Ed Grady's messy made. I uh, already cleaned up. Yeah, but it does have the piso mojado. The floor is wet. Sign up. We have two cones there just to make sure that nobody falls. I mean, it, it's a good area. I'd say it's um, six square feet of area. Yeah, that, construction uh, from uh, Edgar. Yeah. So, so similar to what the Raiders did today. So kind of fitting. Devastating. As a Chucky doll walks by with a fan and a very long face here in Santa Clara. Welcome back to the Vegas Nation podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Fang, joined with Michael Gelkin, who is joining us from Oakland via Skype. And we are brought to you again by your local Southern Nevada Toyota dealers. We had a lot of fun talking with Gilbert there about the Fertitas, their interest in possibly 
becoming owners of an NFL team and also uh, about Ed Greeny and his mishap there uh, making a mess in a hotel uh, that we <laughs> briefly touched on. It was uh, quite a sight, Michael. I wish you had been there to see it. But... <laughs> <laughs> Poor... I have no idea what you're talking about. What happened? Well, so Edward and I and Gilbert were all coming back to the hotel. Ed grabs a glass bottle out of the hotel refrigerator. It slips, it falls, it breaks all over. And these poor guys come out and clean up the area. It was a pretty sizable area because it was glass that broke all over. And all Ed wanted to do was take a sip, and he didn't even get a chance to sip his beverage. And there it was. On... And he didn't even get the same drink after that. I said, what are you? He went and he got iced tea in a plastic bottle afterwards for probably safety precautions. But (laughs) the initial drink that he had chosen was a glass bottle and it it never made it to his lips uh, to quench his thirst. Poor Ed. But uh, Gilbert and I had a little bit of fun with that. And uh, we went over the whole Fertitta story again. You can check that out on ReviewJournal.com from Gilbert Manzano. And... We have to look ahead here because I I did bear Gilbert's chops a little bit about his power rankings there. Again, he had ranked the 49ers underneath the Raiders. And as we saw yesterday, that might not have been the best assessment for the week. But we are going into week 10 now, so he can readjust his rankings as he sees fit. But the 49ers again with Nick Mullins. What a story from Nick Mullins, a third stringer. And I remember reading ahead of the game on, uh, I believe, CBS Sports that Richard Sherman had all the faith in the world in Nick Mullins, saying that he's a confident guy and he puts it out there every week. And we certainly saw that against the Raiders, again, falling to one and seven, going into week 10 in a divisional game, which may or may not mean anything (laughs) at this point, facing the Chargers at home in Oakland. Michael, Philip Rivers and the Chargers, Melvin Gordon too, a very unsung uh, offense, I think, as of late. A lot of people talk about the Chiefs bringing the heat and the Patriots, been all these other high-octane offenses. But I think in some ways the Chargers have been slightly underappreciated uh, as far as what they are able to produce. And I think that coming into this game – it's going to be probably a difficult one for the Raiders. Uh, they do have 10 days, though, to reflect. They have 10 days to look at what they can improve upon and to think about this debacle that had happened against the 49ers this past Thursday and look ahead to the future. So what do we see? What do you think is in the cards during the upcoming practices? How the team will respond? What do you think the temperament will be like in Oakland? I think the key thing first is just to get mentally and physically ready for another game. What happened on Thursday was a low physically. It takes a lot out of you to go from a Sunday game to a Thursday one. That short week for veterans, that can be difficult. But now you take advantage of the back end of a short week. It's almost like a mini buy. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, before a Monday practice, Raiders players just get to rest their bodies and prepare. They also on Sunday can't afford to watch the Raider, or pardon me, the Chargers play at Seattle and just get a sense of what they're going to face. You know, obviously they are familiar with the Chargers. This is a divisional opponent. They have already faced them this season, and so they understand the challenge. Phil Rivers is having an MVP caliber year, as you mentioned. Melvin Gordon has been fantastic, although he's been a little bit sidelined of late with the hamstring. Uh, but I mean, there's no 
from an outside expectation standpoint, I don't think anybody's given the Raiders a chance to win this game. I don't know what the spread will be. I don't know anything like that, but uh, this game shouldn't be close. If Nick Mullins can do what he just did to this defense, what is Phillip Rivers and company going to do? And so it's going to be a challenge, but really it probably behooves the Raiders not to think about it too much. they got to get their minds refreshed. They have to get healthy, certainly on the offensive line. And then come Monday, they can see where they stack up on film to their upcoming opponent. Uh, but until then, it's just about relaxation. And I hope that they do get that. Is I think, in my opinion, and I come from a world of mixed martial arts originally where, you know, you watch a fighter go, they get knocked out, they come back up. But what I think the key is for a lot of the guys that do rebound better is the mental aspect looking back not necessarily dissecting every single thing that went wrong that you need to improve upon but to take a look and say I need to get my confidence back to get your mind right to put all the little things aside and try to remember what the big picture is and I think for the Raiders right now that may be (laughs) rebuilding It, it, it it might be but you know at this point like you said the offensive line has been in shambles we've we've gone through that the defense has been able unable to stop the bleeding John Gruden said that and I think that at this point they just need to look ahead think about the remaining games and do what they can to try to salvage some of this season. And if they're not, then just look ahead to hoping for the number one pick (laughs) that, uh, you know, they're going to have three first round picks. So maybe that's what fans and that's what the Raiders are, are hoping to get. I don't think any team wants to tank on the season, but I think that if you're not going to get those wins and put together some sort of semblance of order with the team that you're going to have to hope for the best outcome and that best outcome, maybe just getting the number one pick. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the key thing, I think, for these Raiders players, you know, how they're feeling in the locker room, is they know what people are saying about their season. It's done. It's dead. And in many respects, it is. These guys aren't going to play in January. But they want to, while taking the proverbial, I don't want to say bullets, because I think that's important. Let me, let me start that. But while... Um, well, taking the arrows of the season and all the difficulty and adversity and all of that, they want to be able to look to their left and look to the right and see teammates who are in it with them throughout, who are willing to finish this thing, who aren't willing to quit. That's what they want to see. And so while all that could amount to, yes, maybe the Raiders won't win another game. They have a pretty difficult schedule. They have to face the Kansas City Chiefs twice as part of their back end of the season. Yeah. But if they can just stay together – and play for each other, show as the veterans how you stick to your routine as if you're 8-0 and continue to prepare and do everything in terms of taking care of your body and watching film that you would if it was a good season. Um, That's how you build a foundation for an organization, and that's how you establish what kind of culture you want as a locker room, what kind of future you want the Raiders to have. And that's what the Raiders need to do these final eight games. I 
wholeheartedly agree with you, Michael. But on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap things up here with the Vegas Nation podcast. Again, brought to you by your local Southern Nevada Toyota dealers. Make sure to hit subscribe on iTunes for all of the episodes here on Vegas Nation. And again, for Michael Gelkin, Gilbert Manzano, and Heidi Fang, you can give us all a follow on Twitter. Michael is at GelkinNFL. Gilbert at GManzano24. And I am at Heidi Fang. We will be back next week to preview everything Raiders against the Chargers. So keep it tuned right here on iTunes. Hit that subscribe button. Thank you for listening.